Would you like to go beyond simply doing great holidays or sabbaticals? Have you ever dreamt of being in some remote place in the world and enjoying the splendor of nature? What does the existence of a natural world mean to you? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple Dave Cumberbatch. We have a really exciting show to uh, bring you today. Uh, it, it's uh, with a travel writer who is more than just a travel writer. I, I, I love his uh, uh, ex- exploration uh, he he explores a, a lot of the world, a lot of the different climates, a lot of the different terrain, and interjects you know uh, science and sustainability into his travel, Dave. And I and I really love that about him. And I listened to one of his podcasts, which we'll discuss during the show. Yeah, and I tell you, as I did my research, uh, that was my observation as well. Well written travel stories. I said, you know what? I can't wait to get Aaron on our podcast, and I'm so happy that he accepted. Wait a minute! You did some research. I did research, man. Oh man, that that, that implied you can read. That's pretty good. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn. Damn, I'm I've, scared. I'm scared of you, bro. <laughs> I've, you, you, you know, I've got to get my British accent for Aaron, but you know, once no, we you, start the show, no, you save that for yourself. He, he's got a, <laughs> he's got his own accent. He can own up to. <laughs> anyway, I, I really want to jump right into today's show, but let me let me dispense with the uh, normal show announcements. Um, you can catch our podcast at tripcast360.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please share, subscribe, and like us with your friends and family. Uh, we also uh, just launched our newsletter. Our first newsletter actually came out about two weeks ago, and we'll have uh, monthly newsletters only for right now. And we promise you we will not uh, inundate your inbox with uh, gratuitous emails from us. I don't like that, and I'm sure you don't either. So we'll only send you the relevant stuff. And we are also going to probably right after the first of the year uh, introduce a photo of the month contest that will also have prizes attached to it. So you'll want to stay tuned for that announcement as well. Dave, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us on social media? Yeah, but you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and soon YouTube. Yeah. And, and you know, with the COVID, the year coming to an end, hopefully one of these three vaccines, if not all of them, prove useful and we can get back to doing what we all love, which is exploring this world. I, I, I'm, I'm so sick of discussing COVID, but, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, you have to deal with it. I mean, you know, you just have to. So I'm, I'm actually hopefully 2020 has got, what, 40 days left. This year needs to end quickly. 2020 <laughs> has been a bad year for a lot of folks. <laughs> <You laughs> oh, know? yeah. So anyway, let, let's talk about something uplifting for a change. And let me get our guest in here. Aaron Millar is an award-winning travel writer, journalist, and author. He is the Times of London's North American travel specialist and National Geographic Traveler's USA columnist, as well as a contributing writer to a range of national and international publications. His awards include the 2014 and 2017 British Guild of Travel Writers, Travel Writer of the Year, and Visit USA's Best National Newspaper Writer Award winner five times. He's also the host of his own podcast, Armchair Explorer. Aaron loves natural world exploration and our connection to it. Much of his work splends culture, nature, adventure, and science. Aaron grew up in Brighton, England, but is currently hiding out, I believe, in the Rocky Mountains of Boulder, Colorado. Is that right, Aaron? That's right, man. Yeah, I ran away about seven years ago, and they're not having me back. I love it. Colorado is near and dear. My uh, my girlfriend's niece lives in Boulder, uh, but I actually graduated from high school in Colorado Springs, so I'm familiar with the Oh, area. nice. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful spot, man. I see they always say, um, you know, Colorado gets the 300 uh, days of sunshine a year. Well, I think in the UK, we get the other 65, so I'm very good <laughs> Well, you need to stay away from that chorus factory up in Golden, Colorado, which is not that far from you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for chatting with us today, man. We really, really, you know, we're really looking forward to this. Could you tell us a bit about your story, about what you do? And for anyone who doesn't, for anyone who doesn't know Aaron Miller, (laughs) you know, 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, thank you certainly. so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I really love your show, and I appreciate uh, coming on. And thank you, especially for that amazing intro. I just I need you to like walk in front of me into the pub and 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 do that wherever we go. That was a really lovely intro. I appreciate. Well, it. I, I can <laughs> handle that part, by the way. <laughs> just just as long as I got a pint in my hand, I can handle what, what, the rest. Oh, you know what, mate? If if you do that intro, I'll buy the I'll buy the drinks. Listen, <laughs> listen. Michael will do the intro, and I will drink the drinks. You're you're uh, you're on the hook now for doing your British accent as the outro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm a travel journalist, travel writer. Um, uh, I've been doing that for, gosh, coming up to sort of 15 years now. Um, before that, I worked in the music industry actually in London, and I did a total career right turn, put on the brakes, and and uh, kind of ran away to to being a writer, which was uh, you know at the time a really crazy thing to do, but. Um, uh, it, it's worked out. And for me, you know, travel writing is, as you said, it's, it, it's an amazing opportunity to explore the world. I've been super lucky to do that. But I think if you can inject into your writing something deeper and more interesting, whether that be science or about other cultures and communities and, and just, you know, give your readers or listeners or whatever the format is, just a little spark of that wonder you experience whilst you're out there, then, then uh, that's a good thing. And that's what I aspire to do. Yeah, what? So, so let me ask you this: Are you a recovering musician still, or? <laughs> well, I, I'm a drummer, so I just hang around with musicians. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Dave. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just had to ask. <laughs> what drove you to switch from music to travel writing? Yeah. Was there was this something that really grabbed you, or were you getting tired of the other industry? I, I didn't. I didn't mean to kind of fall into travel writing. That was just something that happened. I I worked in a like a big management company. I was always on the sort of business executive side of the music industry. I worked a lot really closely with artists in the studio and stuff, but I always felt like I was on the wrong side of the fence. I always wanted to be doing something creative. I was a musician myself and, and uh, you know, my job sort of ended when they went out on stage and I was like, but this is the best bit. This is what I want to be doing, you know? Right. And, um, but I, you know, I realized I, I, I probably didn't have the talent to, to be a professional musician. There's so many incredible artists and musicians out there. But I come from a family of writers and I've always written and always loved writing. And, and um, so I just thought, you know, it was one of those things I just turned 30 and I just thought if I don't give it a shot now, it's never it's never going to happen. So I, I kind yeah. of just decided to to give it a, to give it a whirl. And, and, you know, the first few months of it, I mean, maybe even up to about six months um, were really difficult. It's very hard to get published. It's hard to break in. Um, and then I had this kind of lucky break, which is there's a funny story about this. Um, I had basically, where I grew up, it is a town called Brighton, England, which is just south of London on the, on the south coast. And the South Downs is this beautiful area of like rolling hills and, and kind of quintessential little farms and that sort of stuff. Um, very beautiful, very sort of rural England. And um, they just created a new national park, South Downs National Park. And I had this idea because there's this 100-mile footpath that goes from, from one end of the national park to another. And it's a footpath called the South Downs Way, which has been walked for centuries. You know, Actually, there's evidence going back for about 8,000 years of people using this, this, uh, this route. Um, so I thought, what a great way to celebrate this new <laughs> national park by doing a 100-mile pub crawl. I'm going to do a 100-mile pub crawl from the start of this thing <laughs> to the end, stopping off at as many pubs as I could along the way. And I pitched this to an outdoor magazine, and they bought it, and um, and that was the kind of the, the start of my career. But it was it was it was an amazing uh, assignment because because this is like a historic pilgrimage path for a while. It goes from this town of Eastbourne up to this this uh, other city, Winchester, which was you know famously the seat of King Arthur and a very holy place, Winchester Cathedral. And uh, because it had been walked for so many centuries, there was like these coaching inns, these pubs all along the way where people would traditionally stop. So I, I could yeah. literally start in a pub, have lunch in a pub, finish in a pub and stay in a pub that night. And I tell you what, that is the way to do uh, a long distance hike. I, I can't say I suffered too much. I think <laughs> we need to do a podcast from there. What do you think, Michael? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll do it together, guys. I think we'll just do like a live podcast from each pub. And you know what? People would love it. They would get a kick out of you guys because a lot of these pubs are just local little village things, yeah. you know, and you kind of, it's those places where you walk in and like the, you know, the jukebox stops, the pool table stops rolling, yeah. everything, everyone looks around yeah. and like, 
this is someone we don't know what's going That's on it. you know and uh, and but then you know within about 10 minutes you're, you're friends with everybody and do, do they do they mind if we slur our words i think it's expected I'm, they're all slurring <laughs> theirs so. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking more michael that we can perhaps call it a podcast what do you think as oh, opposed man, to a, pod, like a podcast what do I, you like think? I, I like that but the, the word crawling from one to the next that doesn't work for me <laughs> yeah that's a good idea i like podcasts you know you could go into a different pub each time you don't know who you're gonna meet but you go in there and you do a show and whoever's whoever's there comes on your show i think that'd be really fun oh man the awesome reaction you would get just from walking in the door unannounced oh that would be great <laughs> great way to get free drinks i actually my best friend growing up was uh he did this incredible trip where I mean, we were young at this time. He was about 21 or something like that. And he went out to San Francisco with a buddy of his. And I love this story. Um, and and uh, he pretended they rented like a really good film camera so that they could pretend they were from the BBC in order to talk their way into loads of clubs and stuff for free. And they, yeah, they, and they just, I won't say his name in case anyone, you know. That, that, that's, that sounds like something I would have done back in the days when I was chasing girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get, that, get that kudos. But um, yeah, that's something in England we call that blagging. It's a word I'm always trying to introduce to Americans. because Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's, it's blagging? blagging? Yeah, it's blag or blagging. And um, it's really just... Um, kind of talking your way into something like, you know, if, if let's say you're, you're trying to get into a nightclub and the bouncer says, no, you can't come in, but you managed to talk your way in, you would uh -huh. have lagged your way into that club. <laughs> oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. So my big tip for, uh, for becoming a travel journalist is blag it. That's what I did. <laughs> right. I like that. I like that. <laughs> hmm, that. That's how I, I used to produce my TV shows. So I'm going to have to remember that word. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I've read some of your articles this morning. I was particularly intrigued by the one you wrote about Morocco. And, and by the way, before you comment on that, um, you have a way with words. You have a gift. Oh, and, thank you so much. And, and I just wanted to say that it, it, it's it's like poetic in a way how you wrote that story and you were discussing, you know, how you stumbled across what was that the Fantasia yeah, the festival, festival or festival yeah. Fan, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we've got a, a lady on our show who is, uh, uh, we had her several weeks ago, and she actually wants us to come to Morocco next year. And oh, wow. uh, so your story resonated with me, and, and I just love your turn of phrase. First of all, tell us about that festival and about the experience, because that was one of the things that, I don't want to say you stumbled across it, but according to your story, you did. Actually, I really did, you know, and um, it was, I, I basically gone there to, there's a town called Demnat, which is, um, you know, a couple hours outside of Marrakesh. And Marrakesh is an incredible city, you know, wandering through the souks and incredible history. Um, but I wanted to go to a different part, in you know, a part that tourists don't really go. Most tourists go to there and they go up maybe into the mountains. Um, but this was a place that really, um, you know, people didn't visit that much. Um uh, but they they were trying to launch these these new sort of walking trails where you could go in between these different little villages and and it was a way of providing some income to local people to guide you and and for local businesses and stuff to to rejuvenate the area um, and it was such an incredible trip. I had this amazing guide Hussein Halali and and uh, he took me all around to these you know these villages which are really just made you know just sort of mud and and wheat and chaff all stuck together to make the the houses and Shep, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be the mezzanine call to prayer and shepherds would be herding their sheep all around you. And it was really like going back in time in many ways. Uh, and we did lots of cool things. Um, but like literally on the last day, we're driving to do something completely different, to go to this, this waterfall, which was, which was really beautiful. And he kind of goes, oh my God, I don't believe how lucky you are. You know, we've got to pull over now. And we pulled over and these festival fantasia something that's been done for a long time the, the the whole population there in that part of morocco are berber you know the the berbers very proud yeah. people very traditional people um but also very fierce people they they're very proud that they've never been conquered they've you know they're uh, traditionally warriors uh and one of the things they do is they 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 have these kind of events where um different tribes different villages come together and a kind of festival, and then they they line up their horses and they sort of charge down this maybe 200, 300 yard field, and they and they all try and fire their guns in the air at the same time. And they're graded for like how beautiful their horses are, and they're all decked out in this like amazing regalia and um and how you know how in sync they are. But it was, I mean, there was no tourists there, it was it was 
just the real deal. And, it, and it's such an important um, measure of respect for the villages that win. You know, this is an area where water is really scarce, but yet the, the horses get bathed twice a day. You know, so <laughs> the horses are more important than, than the people. And uh, it, it was just a remarkable moment. And, you know, I think a lot of times travel is about trying to find those trying to find those moments. And sometimes you've got to look for that. And sometimes they just come upon you. But, you know, I think if you, if you kind of go into a place um, with open eyes, I always say like, you know, exploration is really just about having an open mind and, and, and putting out your hand. Because I think, you know, the world is a far kinder and, you know, more generous place than we're often led to believe. And, uh, you know, people are people all over the world. Uh, you know, we all love our kids. We all love our families. We all, you know, want to dance and have a good time. And so I think if you, when you find those common grounds, it doesn't matter if you're in some crazy market in the middle of Morocco or, or the middle of New York City or wherever you are, you just find that common ground and, and, you can, and then you can find experiences like that through that. Yeah, I, I guess have, hearing that gunfire got your attention before you figured out what it was. <laughs> Hell yeah, oh my God, I know. And uh, I, I actually got a little bit, too close. I was uh, take, taking photographs, and uh, yeah, those guys don't stop for anyone. Like uh, you know, I was trying to lean in to get the shot, and I uh, nearly got you know knocked the hell out. <laughs> yeah, this that sounds some, like something crazy I would have done. So, oh I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, sometimes you've got to you know you've got to put yourself in the firing line for for the right shot. But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I, I, I did that once at the Grand Canyon, by the way. And I, I know Dave's got a question he wants to ask you, but I, I did something really dumb. And, and to this day, I regret I hope you didn't I did. try to jump. <laughs> I tell you what, the story I'm about to tell you was close to trying to jump. I, I, I crawled out over the ledge. I had this 80 millimeter camera lens, the long zoom lens on it, but I wanted to shot. And so I started to, I crawled down, I don't want to say over the ledge, but it kind of went over the ledge and there's no guard barrier there. I'm getting all these great pictures. I didn't realize how far down I had gone until I started to climb back up. I looked up, I said, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. So I started crawling on all fours, getting to the top of my foot slipped. And I started sliding back down and I realized one of the problems I was having was this camera. So I tossed my camera up to a buddy and it shattered on the ground because he didn't catch it. Fortunately, the, this was back in the days of film, so he was, we were able to at least get that out. But, uh, you know, uh, what we do for a shot, <laughs> buddy, let me tell you, that was that was close to death. <laughs> yeah, the Grand Canyon will suck you in as well. And there's no, there are no barriers there, which That's always surprises right. me because, uh, you know, health and safety these days is, is so extreme. You know, it always surprises me that, that people just can wander off, you know, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, the Grand Canyon has that way of just sucking you in, doesn't it? Keep walking forward, get to get that shot, and then yeah, next thing you know, I'm, I'm having heart palpitations just telling you that story. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm thinking about it as, as you guys are talking. I'm saying, that's wild and crazy. That's almost like the crazy things that the paparazzi does. <laughs> don't don't get me started on that. Dave, Dave Dave knows I work in Hollywood, and I used to see him hanging around my house all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Aaron, tra- travel today is so much about experiences, eh? And yes. you said when you were in your twenties, you and your best friend went to Brazil. You were like wild dogs. I mean, <laughs> that that that's yeah, your you quote. That, listen, I gotta watch that, out. <laughs> I, I told you he learned how to read. <laughs> that is your quote, right? That is yeah. your quote. That is. You said you you said you guys were like wild dogs. And you can't even believe that that you survived. Tell us what that experience was like. Oh my god, I've never I can't believe you've missed that question. You know, my wife might be listening to this podcast. You you could you could give us the uh, R-rated version or the PG thirteen. It's up to you. We're going we're going G on this uh, thing. I don't know, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, let's just say Brazil is a beautiful country, and uh, we we had a lot of fun there, and and that was actually my first taste of, of travel we didn't get that far actually we kind of <laughs> we <laughs> we got stuck in this place called ariel de judo which is like right on the beach it had loads of beautiful women beautiful bars lots of you know we we're just like we found paradise why are we going anywhere so we got stuck there and spent most of our money and had to come home but it was uh it was one of those trips where you know i'd done travel before but I hadn't really done backpacking and, and it was, it was like the first time in my life I was really just out free 
and you know and just no responsibilities or anything like that and that was just such an amazing experience and i definitely <laughs> caught the travel bug there i was i was but wild know, dogs oh, but man. i'm less of a wild dog <laughs> these days <laughs> I can't believe you found that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you off the hook so you don't have to explain anymore. Because I don't want your I don't want your wife walking into the room smacking you upside the head. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. I have a question for you, and, and I referenced this in the intro uh, when I used the phrase "natural world exploration." Um, a lot of your Stories, your podcasts, which we'll get into momentarily, have to do with natural world. I think I know what it means, but define it for us from your perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess um, you know, I'm I'm a big lover of the outdoors and and of, you know nature and you know I live in Colorado. One of the reasons I moved here was just to, it was always my dream to live in the mountains. And then I saw how much snow you got to shovel in winter, so I moved oh, yeah. right before the mountains. But. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, which is more fun, but um, but yeah, I guess for me, I guess for me, like con- conservation is the first step in conservation. I think the step a lot of people miss out is is falling in love with the outdoors. If you don't, you know, a lot of that messaging is always about bad news and and what's happening in the world. That's you know a crisis. And whilst all that's incredibly important, that and that knowledge needs to come out. I think there's also a step before that for a lot of people, which is just about falling in love with the outdoors, experiencing the outdoors. A lot of people that have grown up in cities, um, you know, have, have become kind of divorced from, from nature in a way. And, and so I suppose for me, it, it's, you know, reminding people that, you know, there's this amazing planet out there and we're a part of it. You know, it, we're not separate from it. You know, I, I did this job down in Patagonia uh, a couple of years ago, an amazing place, Chile and Patagonia. And um, I was, uh, Doing one of the pieces I did down there was with this company called Karoon, which have this incredible project where they they employ local uh, guys to clean up the beaches of plastic, and then they turn those plastic into designer sunglasses, which they sell, and then give some of the profit back to to those communities to start little micro businesses. And um, but their phrase is "We are nature." It's not "We are a part of nature." It is "We are nature," and I think that's we've. We, we've come to this in some ways quite arrogant viewpoint that human beings are outside of of nature, and it's not true, is it? We can't exist outside of this planet. We can't, you know, we we need the air, we breathe the water, we drink the food, we eat. All of that is part of the ecosystem that we're a part of too. And I think when you when you go outdoors and and you connect, whether that be just through hiking or just looking at you know, or just nearly killing yourself in the Grand Canyon, whatever it is you're doing, (laughs) that moment of connection is the moment Mm. where you realize that. And when you realize that, you start to care about it in a different way. And then all those other messages uh, go in and make sense. So I suppose for me, one of the, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get into travel writing or the area of travel writing that I'm passionate about. Um, and you know, probably the most important part, but the other part is, is, is about different cultures and diversity and and just you know, just kind of opening up people's eyes to all the different ways that people live around the world. You know, I think we we get stuck in these kind of cliques and these boxes that we grow up in, which are our family, our friends, our schools, our our states, our countries. And you know, if you're lucky enough to to be able to travel outside of those boxes, you realize that that's just where you grew up. You know, that doesn't necessarily have to be who you become. And there are many, many more options uh, for that. And I think uh, that's, that's really empowering on a personal level. And then, of course, it's also about connecting with those other cultures and, and realizing that, you know, just because they have a different way of living, it doesn't mean that essentially they're, they're different to us in, in any kind of core important way. So, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of what I, why I got into it. And the natural world is definitely something that's, that's really important in my writing. Yeah, no, and it shows. And I, you know, I have a, I don't want to say a unique background, but it is somewhat unique. You know, my dad was in the, in the military, U.S. military, <clears throat> in the Air Force. And I remember we spent four years in Northern Maine. Um, probably reminds you a little bit of where you're from in England, except a lot colder. Uh, but I remember as a little boy, just being able to like go out and just lay in the snow and stare up at the, guys see stars 
and wonder. I remember when the snow melt came in in July and it's 75 degrees outside laying in the grass, staring up and just amazed at the surroundings and how quiet it was. Now, there's no smog up there, man. No smog. It is noise pollution, non-existent. And then you realize that you're just this little tiny speck in this massive world of ours. And it makes you appreciate nature. And as, as I become an adult, I find myself now wanting to escape quiet climate. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I absolutely love that. And, and it's those moments, isn't it? Like not everyone gets to experience that. I, I feel like one of the things I, I try and talk about is I think we have a wonder deficit. Like there's a deficit of wonder and awe in our modern lives. Like we, we have all this entertainment, but we really don't have that much inspiration or spark, you know? And, and I think look, travel and travel can provide that and, and, and just seeking out that, those kind of moments. And it doesn't have to be far. Like you say, it's just, you were lucky to, to live in that part of, of Maine, which is really wild, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's fully, uh, you know, many it's undeveloped, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's some really incredible locations there. And yeah, just to have those moments are, are, uh, incredible i just i had a did an episode I, I interviewed this this woman rebecca stevens she was the first british woman to climb everest and do the and she's also the first british woman to climb all seven summits you know the seven summit challenge which is yeah. the highest mountain on each of the seven continents yeah you wrote it you you did a podcast episode about that yeah and yeah. so mm-hmm. she has this incredible thing she said where it was like you know the mountains always make me feel humbly insignificant you know the vastness of the mountains make me feel humbly insignificant, yet paradoxically, paradoxically acutely alive. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? It's yep. like that moment where you feel so small and humbled by that smallness, yet part of something like unfathomably large and bigger than yourself. And when you feel both of those things at the same time, that is true wonder and mind blowing and amazement. I think. No, I, I'm in total agreement with you on that. I. I... Uh, just uh, after we hang up uh, from this call, just so you'll know how far northern Maine I lived, Interstate 95 dead ends in a place called Holton, Maine. Then I want you to get on US 1 and drive about as far north as you can get before you cross into Canada. That's where we live. Wow. <laughs> it is awesome. literally, we were three and a half miles from the, uh, to the east from the Canadian border. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I had never lived in a place where the sun in the wintertime didn't uh, arrive until maybe seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. And yeah. it, and by three o'clock in the afternoon, when we were on our way home from school, it was dark again. Yeah, that's pretty brutal, isn't it? Those, those are oh, long winters it, up there. It, it, it was tough. And I remember as kids, we would go traipsing through the woods. So we were too stupid to realize, well, the winter wasn't so bad because the bears weren't around. But we were too <laughs> stupid to realize that during the summer months, there were bears in those woods. Yeah. Um, you know, and got ourselves, in, I, I got myself in trouble twice with the bears. Another one of those stories that you don't want to try at home. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm going to make a pivot real fast because I did listen to your most recent uh, podcast about the Greenland ice caps and the melting of the polar ice uh, 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 and what that's doing to the environment. Uh, I, I found your your guest to be fascinating. I found the and this is why I go back to that juxtaposition between nature, science, and the fact that we're all just a little speck of dust on this planet. Um, have you, first of all, have you ever been there? And I know you interviewed a guest who had been there. Just give us your take on how you see uh, climate science, climate change affecting everything we're doing. Yeah, it was, it was such an interesting story. I'm glad you picked up on that. Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, Christian Pondella is the name of the guy. He's an incredible photographer uh, and he shoots for Red Bull and a bunch of other stuff. And um, the kind of hook of my show is the, the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. So his best story, and this is a guy who's done tons of crazy stuff in his life, crazy ice climbs, you know, all sorts of stuff. But his, the craziest thing he's ever done, his best story was going inside this hole in the Greenland ice cap. There's these things called moulins, which these, you know, meltwater from the ice in summer forms these rivers on the, on the ice cap. And then these rivers kind of rush into these deep chasms. And they were actually repelling into these into these holes and it was a place that no one had ever been before but they were going there with a glaciologist uh in order to take measurements and see what's inside because they they had done like sonar stuff to try and figure out what was inside these things but no one had really ever gone in one before and they wanted to go in and 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 see what it was and 
you know, it was, it's, it's an incredible story because it, it was, I mean, God, I would be terrified doing something like that. You know, I, I, I love adventure stuff, but the idea of the kind of just rappelling into a pitch black abyss and not knowing what's underneath there and any number of things could kill you any number of ways. Yeah. Uh, but when they got down there, of course, it was just absolutely beautiful and it was much bigger than they thought. And that was what was really interesting too, is they thought these things were going to be quite small, but it turns out they're, they kind of widen once you get in them and they're these huge kind of cathedrals of ice. And yeah. that actually affects, that was something they didn't know. So that, that changed their entire climate model for how the Greenland ice cap is melting and the rate at which it might melt. And it's just an example, I think, of, you know, sometimes you have to go there and, and sometimes you have to really, like the essence of that kind of extreme exploration is, is really going somewhere that, where no one else has ever been before. And, you know, at one time in our, uh, you know, in the history of humanity, that was something that happened often. Like there were so many blank spaces on the map, right? But there really aren't that many blank spaces on the map left. And, you know, to, to, to think of someone going somewhere where no one else had ever been and coming back with these amazing photographs of what it looked like, it's a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And then to, to kind of pair that adventure with learning something that's actually progressing the science and helping I think takes adventure and travel to another level, you know, and, and, you know, we can't all be part of that, that science or, or that exploration in our own hobbies, but I was trying to relate it in a way to, to Christian's art because his job was to come back with photographs and show people this place and show people how incredible it was. And I think that's something that we can do, right? Like we can, whether you're just a photographer or a writer or a poet or a filmmaker or whatever it is, you know, I think art is a really powerful medium to, to you know, transmit the human feeling, the human kind of condition, and if you can transmit whether that's just on your own, you know, Instagram page or for, through other blogs or papers or whatever it is, um, you know, if you can put something of your feeling into that and create something that that you know pushes the pushes the envelope further in terms of other people's experience and knowledge, then then you're not just traveling for yourself. You get that incredible experience. But you also share that experience in a way that benefits the wider world and the community and destination that you're visiting. So I think that's where it becomes really cool, and really powerful. Yes. And um, as you travel uh, and you see some parts of the world uh, where the environment is, you know, is being destroyed. I'm using a strong term there, where the environment is being destroyed. Does it change your writing style and how you write? When when uh, someone who's very optimistic would probably be looking to writing really nice things about the beauty of the world, the beauty of the environment, then all of a sudden you see all of this destruction. And to add to that, the fact that the United States had actually pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, now they're back, there's some optimism there. Does it change how you write your stories? I've always taken this approach of, yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. And of course it does, I think, but I think you know, for, from a perspective of travel writing, it has to, it has, you have to capture someone's attention first. You have to make them care about what they're reading about first and be interested in it. And then you can put in a little, little nuggets here and there. You know, I always use this kind of analogy, like when, uh, when Elvis started out and he was doing all his crazy hip shaking, people were like, what, what the hell is this? Yeah, this is like crazy. And then his manager was like, or, you know, or someone close to him was like, you know what, Elvis, don't do it the whole time. Just in the beginning, just do it a little bit, you know, right. just do it once or twice. And, and then people will be like, wow, what's that? And they'll want to find out about it. And then you can do it more and more. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're trying to talk about difficult subjects, I was trying to sort of take that Elvis approach, you know, of like a couple of hip shakes, but don't make the whole article about <laughs> shaking your hips, you know? And, uh, and I also think like I've, I, I worked for this paper um, for a while called Positive News, which is all about constructive journalism and the ethos of that is like proper news reporting um but reporting on solutions rather than problems and our whole news media is focused on reporting on problems and what that does is that creates a mental picture a filter through which we see the world that's essentially negative but that filter could just as easily be positive and so and what happens when you read this publication is you feel empowered to also do something to help the world, to also find a solution. So I actually don't think the, the best thing to, to do is always to report on the negative. 
I think one of the best ways you can get people active in things like climate change is to report on the solutions that people are doing, the, the projects that are working, the, the great science that's being done. And I think that actually can be more powerful in a way to inspire people to, to join that positive change and to, uh, you know, to, and to be a part of that. So I've, I guess I've always taken that kind of constructive journalism approach to it. Yeah. And to link why you should care back to them on a personal level. Yeah, if you're If you're talking in generalities or you're talking over their head or they don't get it, then not having that link to why you should care that the polar ice caps are melting is never going to work. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the ways to do that, I, I think, is, is you know, through story. I mean, story yeah. is the, maybe the defining aspect of, of human beings, right? Like we are storytelling people since we've been since we first set foot on the savannah, we have been telling each other stories and those stories have bonded us and in a way created the world. The world's kind of sprung from those stories we tell each other. So I think story is a really powerful way into that. And, and the way into story is quite often one person's perspective. You know, it's more powerful in some ways to talk about how climate change is affecting one person, one family, uh, than it is to talk about it in a general way. The general way becomes abstract and we can't care emo as, as emotionally about it. But when you talk about a family, when you talk about an individual, uh, then it matters, you know, and then, it, and then it becomes personal. And then that reader or watcher or listener or whoever can extrapolate from that to the broader abstract point. But I think it helps to, to, to focus on story and just focus on people first. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to climate science, we have a tendency to approach it from an elitism point yeah. of view. And I would much rather have you go tell the farmer in the Midwest what climate change is doing to your crop rotations and your inability right. to, you know, feed your family or feed the world or, or why it's raining more here than it is there. And those stories actually resonate more than talking to it from 30,000 feet. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, spe speaking of 30,000 feet, I'm I, um, you, you're, uh, you'd mentioned at the beginning of your podcast about the Greenland ice caps that you're going to take a little journey along Route 395 oh, yeah. uh, this coming summer. First, I know where 395 is. It's about 20 minutes from my front door. But tell us about <laughs> 395. Tell us what makes it so fascinating. And Dave will actually appreciate this because he's heard me talk, and I'll give him a hint. He's heard me talk about Death Valley and all that for a long time. Yeah, I think it's a great, I was actually supposed to do, I was on an assignment for this, um, this spring, but, uh, but COVID hit and we, we had to cancel. So hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll be able to do that this coming summer, but I think it's just one of the most beautiful places in the States. You know, the 395 is, is basically a road that, that it's kind of bisects the high Sierras, the Sierra Nevada mountains on one side and death Valley on the other side. I mean, that in itself is just incredible. And I think the high Sierras are maybe the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen in my life. You know, they are, there's something special about that mountain range. Wow. It's just so beautiful. And Death Valley, I was at Death Valley a, a while ago and, you know, it's really badly named, isn't it? Like Death Valley. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Death Valley. I'm thinking yeah. about oh. death. Yeah. I mean, you can see the marketing people going, can we just rebrand this now? You know? But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but actually, do you know why it's called Death Valley? I, I did a, a story on this. It's apparently because the um, there was some of the original people that were crossing over to California got stuck there for a number, number of months. And there was this, this huge party that, um, uh, of caravan of like a couple hundred people, families and, and all sorts that got stuck there and they were running out of water. And, and they, they sent a couple of guys just, just over the mountains to try and find help. And, um, and then they, those guys were gone for like another month and their, their numbers were dwindling. But they finally brought this this rescue party and 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 they were rescued. And on their way out, one of them famously said, Goodbye, Death Valley. You know, you didn't get us this time. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't even know that. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it's actually completely full of life and it's it's an incredible place to visit. And and um, but to be able to like see that that desert ecosystem buttress up against this completely different mountain ecosystem is incredible. And then of course you go all the way up to the Mammoth Lakes, which is just a beautiful destination, and I love that whole part of California. I think it's um, it's such an incredible state anyway to explore. And I think Yosemite is, uh, you know, obviously that's an incredibly popular destination. But 
you know, I think it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And, beautiful, and, beautiful. And it's just stunning. You know, you walk, you, when you come in and you see Yosemite Valley, it really is like a fabled kingdom. You know, you have the giant cliffs with waterfalls pouring over and you're like, oh my God, I've just, I've just landed in Shambhala. This is it. You know, this yep. is the perfect paradise. And, um, you know, most people there don't, you know, go too far from that view. But, but actually, if you just take a hike a few miles away from the trailhead, you can find those pieces of Yosemite and have them all to yourself too. And, I, and that's, that's pretty incredible. So yeah, we were going to do that whole thing up through the High Sierras, up Death Valley, you know, into Yosemite and then up to Mammoth Lakes and then who knows, maybe carry on. And we were going to do it on this, um, these really cool overland Jeeps where they have the tent on the top. Uh, so we could go on loads of the back roads and stuff like that. So that was, that was the plan. But hopefully that will come good this, this, uh, this spring. Yeah, uh, uh, caution, do it in the spring. Um, but <laughs> yeah. those of you who, who don't follow weather like I do, um, I'm my own personal weather, man. It was 100. I believe the high temperature this past summer in Death Valley was 136, which is an all-time record uh, yeah. around the globe. It was exceedingly hot. But the, the thing that always, you were talking about California terrain. Death Valley is 280 feet below sea level, give or take a few feet. It's the lowest point in the continental United States. The high, actually, in the United States period, the highest point in the continental United States is less than fifty miles away. Yeah, that's amazing. That, isn't it? that change of altitude, and you've got this dusty old desert road, and the next thing you know, you're looking at Mount Whitney with snow on it, and it's only fifty miles apart. I don't know of any place on the planet that is like that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, and it's just an incredible feeling to. To be able to, I mean, you could literally do that, couldn't you? You could be in the morning sweltering in 120 degrees in Death Valley, and then in the afternoon, like putting yeah. on your sweater in, in the in the mountains. So that's there's not many places you can do that. Yeah, amazing, it is amazing. Yeah, it, amazing. It, it, it really is. It's the most it's the most awesome change of geography I have ever seen. Yeah, and you know what? I love. That's one of the reasons why I, I'm kind of stuck in the states now. Is I, I just I think particularly out west, I just love the landscapes of, of, of America, you know, it's, um, for, for visitors from the outside, you're kind of drawn to, you know, obviously things like New York and, and Florida and, and LA and, and, and those kind of things. But actually when you get to places like, you know, Utah and Cal and Colorado and some of the deserts around you in Nevada, you know, just, they're so stunning and they're so big. America's such a big country, like coming from England, which is like, you know, a quarter of the size of Texas, you know, it's like the, the, the scale of it. Like sometimes when you fly over from where I live in Colorado to, to California, if you get a clear day and you look out the window, there's just nothing but, but this beautiful desert and mountains and it's just untouched, you know, and you always think of America as this incredibly developed country. And of course it is in many, many places, but there are still pockets of just pure wildness here. And I, and I absolutely love that. What are some of your more rewarding trips? And have you met anyone along the way that, that, that has really left a mark and an, an impression on you? Yeah, you know, a lot of people. I, I guess um, one of the best trips, speaking about out west, is uh, I, I did this story about uh, living with the Navajo. I, went to, I got to go and live with the, the Navajo on their reservation for, with a number of different families for about 10 days. And, you know, that was a, that was an incredible experience. And I, I met this young, this young kind of Navajo activist and he took me to, he grew up with his uh, grandparents living in a Hogan, the traditional house um, of the Navajo yeah. without electricity or running or water. And his grandfather, who was a medicine man, still lived there way out in the desert without any electricity or running water just tending a shock of uh, a flock of sheep and you know bring hauling water in and um to see that that lifestyle kind of preserved within modern america was was really amazing and profound and and really sad at times too because it was you know here we are in the you know the most powerful richest nation in the world and there were so many places there that were just completely forgotten and left to poverty and all the things that come with poverty and you know he was an in incredible guy because you know he you know he just believed in his culture and, and he spoke so proudly of it and you know he was kind of defiant in the face of 
of of this enormous obstacle that was in front of him and, and his people. And I, I thought that he was an incredible guy, Ira Vandiver. Um, and also just being able to take part in that medicine man ceremony was an incredible experience. You know, not many people get to do something like that. And it was, you know, we were, you know, we were in the, in the Hogan and, you know, we we're right on the back country of Monument Valley at this point and, you know, miles away from anywhere. And the kind of wind is rattling and there's storms outside and he's got this fire brewing and we're sitting around this fire and he only speaks the native Diné, his grandfather. So it's all being translated to me. Um, and it was just this incredible moment of, of seeing that original culture of America, which so often as a traveler, as a tourist, what you get presented is this, this kind of Hollywood style version of it where they come on and do a show and, um, you know, that, that is a way of, of, of showcasing the culture, but, you know, it, it oftentimes doesn't feel very authentic. And, uh, and this was a, a real glimpse into what that culture really, really is. And one of the cool things, because I lived in England still at that time, and the, the medicine men are supposed to be able to look into the fire and they believe divine certain things about you or certain things about your life through looking into the fire. And what was really interesting was he, he looked up at one point and said, oh, you're our, you're our neighbor. And I said, no, no, I'm from, you know, I'm, I'm from England. He said, it doesn't make sense. You're just, you live just beyond this mountain. And uh, I said, no, no, I'm, I'm from the UK. And then the next year I moved to Colorado, which was exactly where he said <laughs> I lived beyond this mountain. So the, the old guy had something on me. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, that was a beautiful experience. And I had another trip I did to Japan, which was walking this, um, this ancient pilgrimage path that has been walked for like a thousand years. It's called the Kumano Koda. And if you're into Kung Fu movies, right, you know, like it, 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 that sort of matrix style Kung Fu. Yeah, we're all, we're, you, know, you can't see it's a podcast, but we're all doing Kung Fu moves now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you are at home too. I know it. But, uh, but, um, you know that that sort of those those old kung fu movies where people would like jump twenty feet in the air and do like a hundred kicks before yeah. coming down, like that's supernatural stuff. Well, that all comes from these old Japanese myths of these shugendo monks that live in these key mountains. And this is where I went for this this part this walk, and it was like a week long walk. Um, and they believe that by that enlightenment is attained by physical immersion in the, in the outside world. They don't believe that enlightenment is attained by looking inwards, as, as is the traditional Buddhist view. They believe it's found by looking outwards, by immersing yourself in the outward world. And they can do these incredible things. And I met this guy, I met one of the Shigendo monks, and his name was Ryo Takagi. And I was able, through a translator, to, to have a short conversation with him. But he, along with some of his other monks, are able, every year they, they go into this sacred waterfall and they're able to stay in there. Now, this is like freezing winter conditions, snow all around. Most of the river is frozen. And they're able to stay under there for 45 minutes uh, or more just by meditating, by kind of controlling their body temperature through their mind. You or I would be like hypothermic in, in a few minutes, right? Um, but they're able to do that. And it's, and it's able, and they, they believe that those kind of acts are able to give them, you know, almost superhuman power. So I said to him, what's your, you know, you don't mind me asking, what's your superpower, right? You know, like what, <laughs> what has this given you? What's your superpower? How can I not ask that? And he looked at me and he said, I'm able to look inside people's hearts and know how to help them. And I thought, isn't that just an amazing superpower? Yeah. yeah. I thought that's such a beautiful superpower. So yeah, he was, and I want that. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> It was such a humble and selfless way to, to put it. So, yeah, he was a, a big inspiration to me, too. I, I, I saw something um, on your uh, website. I think it's called the Blue Dot uh, Perspective. The Blue Dot Perspective, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us a tell little us bit about, about that. That. Yeah. That, that. That was fascinating when I looked on your website and, and you know, I saw that you'd made reference to uh, Carl Hagen and the looking back on Earth. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's an incredible story because when they sent the Voyager spacecraft probe out into the far reaches of the solar system, it was the first time they'd ever done that. And Carl Sagan basically said, look, when, when we get to the edge of the, our solar system, for just a minute, let's turn the camera back at Earth, take a photograph, and see what Earth looks like from the edge of our solar system. 
and it's a really incredible moment because you can't you can't see it. Uh, it's this tiny speck, this tiny speck of light suspended in a sunbeam, surrounded by hundreds and thousands of other identical specks of light, and you can't find it. And it's and his point was, look at that dot, look at that speck. Everyone you've ever known, everyone that's ever lived, every war, every religion that's ever been fought over. Lives on that speck of dot has fought over a tiny piece of land on that speck of dot. What does that say? What does that say about us as humanity? What does that say about the importance of preserving that, but also of getting on with each other? Right? Like we all—it's like, ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space right now. It's actually happening. And so let's get over these petty differences. Let's and let's transcend that. And and let's let's do let's you know do something together. Let's realize kind of how small, like you were saying earlier, you know, how small and insignificant you are, we are in the scale of the universe, but also how we're this essential part of it, how we're the, as far as we know right now, we're the only, uh, you know, intelligent life we've found. And, and I'm, I'm sure one day we, that won't be the, the case, but right. uh, given the amount of the size of the universe, but for now it is, and it's precious. And, you know, let's, let's look beyond our, our petty squabbles and differences and see them from that blue dot perspective, from that that perspective of the edge of our solar system. So that's kind of what that that website is all about. Yeah, you know, at the at the end of the day, we're all here for a minute period of time yeah. in a minute planet in a solar system that at some point is getting sucked toward the sun, and we're not going to be here anyway. And mm-hmm. we waste all of our damn time fighting power struggles and whose form of government is better and what piece of earth can we take from our fellow man because we want it and we don't want you to have it it's all so damn ridiculous so when (laughs) i saw that blue dot Mm -hmm. perspective your your platform on your website i'm like man if we could figure out a way to bottle this up and explain to the global community that you really are nothing i mean you're unique in and of yourself as most as all human beings are but at the end of the day it's just not that damn important well, you know, there's a possible, there's something that could happen for that. So um, I actually interviewed an astronaut on, the, on, the, on my podcast, and um, he mentioned this thing called the overview effect, which I've, I've written about. Uh, and it's this kind of psychological phenomenon. It, it's been documented. There's a huge percentage of the astronauts that go into space report this psychological phenomenon when they come home. And it's the sense that Suddenly, when you see the Earth from space, like like what you're talking about, you you realize the truth of it. You realize the truth that we are this planet floating in space, and you realize that that you know that you know from space there are there are no nation nations from space. It's all just land and sea. You know, the nations are just lines we draw in our minds. Right. And uh, you know, and I think that. That overview effect, so that you know, when they come home, they report this like profound cognitive shift that that they now know the, the truth of it that we are this the, what the Earth really is, and so maybe I wondered, you know, and it's not that far away potentially, fifty years, hundred years, when most people will at some point in their life go into space, you know, or, or maybe if it's even a rite of passage, like when you're twenty one, you're sent up into space to to, to see it. And to and to know, I think that will have a profound change on the on the human psyche and, and the human understanding of ourselves. I don't think we're that far away from it either. You, you know, with the advances in science and technology, you know, we, we we've heard of Elon Elon Musk exploring sending people into space and all that stuff. I I think you're right. Um, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is, I don't know if mankind's going to survive the next couple hundred million years before we get sucked into the sun and go away. But if we do. We'd better put some money into figuring out where we are going to exist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and know. that's truly the the you know that's you know the the next step of of exploration, isn't it? Like you know, I the International Space Station. I always say is like our it's a it's our first colony in space. Is someone has been living and yeah. orbiting the Earth now for t- more than twenty years. Someone has been up there for yeah. more than twenty years, and that's pretty incredible. That's a huge achievement, and you know. Who knows? Maybe in our lifetime, we'll, someone will make it to Mars, and and you know, we like you say, we live such short lives that this stuff seems impossible. But when you look on it on a larger scale, you know, we're 
we're moving quite quickly towards that. And I think that's going to have a, a positive effect on, on our, you know, our culture and humanity as a whole. Yeah, most, most certainly. And, and if any, and if anything should prove how vulnerable man really is, look no further than COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, think about this. At the end of the day, had this been a more virulent strain, a.k.a. the bubonic plague or something like that, half the Earth, Earth's population would be dead now. Right. Yeah. We, we, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is organisms on this Earth continue to evolve. You know, we would have never heard of COVID two years ago. We would have never heard of polio, you know, 50 years ago. Things continue to change. And we are that close to being wiped out as a species, not the great dropping of the asteroids that destroyed the dinosaurs and put us in the dark ages. But we are that close if something else comes along that we don't have a grip on that we're not here anymore. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really sobering, isn't it, to to realize how quickly and how unprepared we are for something like that. You know, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping there is nothing. I'm hoping some positive news comes out of COVID nineteen. As much as I'm, you know, I weep outwardly sometimes for all the people who have lost their lives. Is that damn it? Learn your lessons. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I hope so. Yeah, you know, it, it's, this is more than just a pandemic that's taking lives. It's it, it's something bigger, and if you don't get the lesson now, uh, you know, I don't care what spiritual person you pray to or whatever, but somebody's sending you a message. Wake up! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, someone is banging on the door right yeah, now. Yeah, you're saying hello. <laughs> We're here. Science, I keep giving you these signs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. On the lighter side, a lighter side question. Yeah, no. right. <laughs> a lighter oh, that, side that, that pub again? Oh. Yeah, let's go to the pub, guys. Let's finish it there. What's your favorite food? And have you, in, in all your global travels, have you ever been to a destination where the food is not what you're used to? Uh, how do you have, you know, I'm looking for experiences. Okay. You know, what has that been it's for you? It's a great you? question because I think food is such a big part of, the travel experience, isn't it? Like, you know, just, well, just soaking up the destination with all your senses and, um, you know, I, not England. I mean, pub crawl, great, beer, great, <laughs> but not otherwise, you know, unless you like pie and chips. Uh, but um, I have a funny food story. So I'm kind of a pescatarian, uh, but I was vegetarian when I did that trip to the Navajo. And uh, they, had, they had made this, I went to the, this house and they had, um, prepared this or wanted to like invited everyone over for this big feast and they literally um like slaughtered a sheep in front of me and then (laughs) cooked it and then ripped out its intestines and Uh. handed it to me and said this is the great honor of having these intestines and i'm vegetarian and i was too polite to say anything i was like i don't want to offend anyone and this thing's like four feet long i was chewing on that for about (laughs) an hour (laughs) oh my god (laughs) oh man that must have been incredible for you yeah that was pretty nuts and then actually i did um in america i did this story about oyster i I hate shellfish of any kind I, i just can't do it but it was a similar situation where I was doing this story and it was about an oyster farmer. And he took me out to this oyster farm that was out in the, in the ocean. We went on his boat and he was so proud of it, you know? And, uh, and again, I, I was vegetarian at the time and he gives me this, he just picks this thing out of the ocean and it's like mm-hmm. a giant, you know, s- slimy snail thing. And he's like, you've got to eat this right now sort of thing. And, and they say that, you know, an oyster is like, you know, kiss the famous quote is like an oyster is like kissing the ocean on the, on its mouth. Well, actually, this is more like ocean snot, you know. And it's so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was with my wife at the time, right? And so she's like, "Oh, great! I'm going to film this. This is really important. You should definitely do this." You know, just kind of really setting me up. And uh, so he's watching, and he and I I kind of put this in my mouth, and I'm prepared to just kind of swallow it whole. And he and he says, "Don't swallow it. Keep it in your mouth." Now bite mm. down. What you're chewing on now is the stomach. Keep chewing that. <laughs> and now what you're getting is like, you know, the the, the eyes. And, and it was like, like you know, I was just, oh my God, it was, it was just awful. But you have to be like, you know, then that's part of the travel experience too. I was like, 
wow, this is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> God, get me out we of need, here. <laughs> we need so some of those images. Yeah. So much for my oyster eating days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. But I always tried something once, you know, but I, I don't know about doing that one again. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll pass on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's amazing all these weird foods you get around the country. When I was in Fiji, they have this drink called kava. K-A-V-A. And I actually just looked it up on my uh, phone just now because I had forgotten the name of it. And it's like this muddy, earthy. It, it's like, I hope I don't offend any Fijians out there, but it's like drinking, <laughs> it's like drinking mud water. <laughs> but it's supposed to calm you and numbs your throat. And I'm like, I didn't feel any of that stuff. You know, <laughs> it, it, I felt like I was just drinking a glass of dirt. Were you, were you calmer after you had it because you because it was finished? No, because a guy chased it down with a beer, so I was good. Oh, that's how it works. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. but 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 you know, it's it's like a national drink, and like you know, if you've ever been to Fiji, um, the resorts that are built in Fiji are still owned the, the land under it is owned by the Fijians, and they basically re- rent this out to these resorts. And the only people, most of the tourists don't go to the interior part of the country. And when you do, you're an invited guest of a tribal leader. Mm. And one of the things they have you drink is kava. It's their welcoming drink. And so I'm like, okay, you know, trying to do this and hide my disdain for it while I'm sitting here trying to make the the tribal (laughs) leaders all happy. And it's like, oh, but you know what? The cultural experience of being able to sit around them in their environment, not in a resort, in their villages was awesome. it. It, it, It was really awesome. It was worth the trip. Worth a mouthful of dirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, in the few seconds we got left, uh, I, I saw something in, in your thing. You were talking about launching an adventure travel agency. Give us a little insight, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's very nice of you to mention that. Yeah, I, you know what? I just, I've been sort of working as a travel journalist for the last 15 years. I, I write a lot about different kind of itineraries and things people can do. I've kind of always got my, I'm always got my finger on the pulse of, of you know, hopefully what's happening. And I really want to promote adventure travel that's done in a, in a sustainable and positive way. And I think more and more people want to do that too. One of the buzzwords in the travel industry this year is regenerative, regenerative travel. And, um, you know, for me, that means travel that, you know, sustainable means not doing any harm. Regenerative for me means doing some good so that your travel is actually benefiting that community or that destination in some way. That's the sort of travel I want to promote. And I wanted to help people be able to to kind of find those those sorts of uh, trips and plan them out, um, and you know a bunch of people that listened to the show we kind of asked about it. So I thought, hey, yeah, let's 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 give this a shot and do it. And uh, you know, it's, I I love I love helping people plan out that dream trip. I love make helping that make that happen. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I got someone going to Iceland uh, later this year, uh, which will be my first client and. Uh, you can't go, I mean, it was a great first job because you can't go wrong with Iceland. Everything in that country is absolutely amazing. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's an easy one for me. But yeah, it's, uh, I, hopefully, I hope it's going to be a lot of fun doing that. So you just found your secret power. Ah, okay. There you go. See, I knew I'd find a tie-in somewhere <laughs> up in here, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Nice, yeah, nice bring back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, um, Tell us, uh, what else is on the horizon for you in 2021? I, I'm, I'm, we'll I'm, see, writing right? off the, I'm writing off the last 40 days of this I year, know, so I'm just know, getting, I, jumping ahead. I'm any books you, right? Any books coming out, anything like that? No, I'm not. But I, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to focus on this uh, podcast, and you know, I'll be doing journalism stuff. And we'll have to see you know, how it goes with travel. I, 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 we just don't know. It's so hard to predict. And I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the destinations are still wary of of what's going to be available um but one thing we know is it will eventually come back I, you know travel i think is is such a big part of many people's lives i think it's an yeah. instinct to explore and to see new things um so it's going to come back and 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 i you know when it comes back hopefully we'll have a, b- a bunch of stuff on the horizon i'm hopefully going to do this trip to th- on the 395 and um then i've got a big trip to europe planned and um if, if it all comes good. Um, but in the meantime, I'll be telling stories on the podcast and I, and I absolutely love this format for that. You know, writing is, uh, is very precise. And the great thing about writing is that you can be really precise and really pick your words and really say something very specific. But, um, but the, the great thing about uh, talking is that it's much more flowy and 
I think that the power of podcasts is, you know, it's, there's a real relationship because you're, you're, you're really in someone's ear, you're whispering in someone's ear. And, you know, if you can spark someone's imagination that way, I think it's just a really powerful and amazing way to tell stories. So I'm excited by that. It's kind of a new thing for me. I didn't wholly expect it, but this whole COVID thing has opened up that, that door. And I think the best thing you can do with when something like this happens is what's the opportunity? Like all this bad stuff has happened. All this stuff has right. been canceled, but where's the opportunity? Where's, how can I flip this around? And, and so hopefully, um, hopefully that's what, what will happen. And, uh, you know, like you say, I'm looking forward to 2020 being over and let's 2021. <laughs> here we come. Right. Man, I, 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 I can't wait for these next 40 days. I just like, yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's just been, I mean, I'm fortunate that, you know, I've got uh, my grandchildren are only 240 miles away. So it's not a, you know, I can hop in the car and do that. I don't have to risk the planes and I don't have to worry about the hotels because they, you know, we were at a hotel in California three weeks ago and there was nobody around us. Right. You know, they don't come in your room anymore. And I'm totally cool with that. So yeah, I just, this year's got to go. I'm like, I'm done with it. And as regard to your final point about writing, I find podcasting to be liberating. I mean, I come from a media world anyway. My background is in media and entertainment and, you know, I have a degree in journalism, but I, I find writing sometimes I, I find myself trying to be too precise. Mm. You know, somebody who's written two books and written for a variety of publications, and things like that. You know, I, I get it. And sometimes I fuss over a single word when I'm having this conversation with you and Dave. It's just me. Yeah, exactly. You I know? love that, too. You know, and it's like, where do you get your flow? You know, that flow state where it's just like, you know, and athletes always talk about when they're in the zone, when they're in the flow state and anything is they can't miss the shot or whatever. And I, for me, I always find I'm more in the flow when I'm having a great conversation like this with, with just awesome people and um, just buzzing about ideas and things we love. That's, I feel really in my flow in, in, in that state. And so I find it, I think liberating is a really good word for it. I love that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Davey, uh, you got anything else before I let our dear friend, uh, our newfound best friend, who's going to take us to Iceland go? Let's, let's hear that British accent. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, time for, it's time oh. for you to practice, buddy. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I should have thought I'm about- getting you back for that wild dog. But I'll tell you what, I'll practice my British accent. I would have perfected, we'll it, I, I perfected it by the time I got on your podcast. Okay, man. Yeah, we'll do it next time. <laughs> How about that? That sounds fair. Yeah, I'll, that? I'll, I'll make them practice. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I'll be listening to your show, guys. So, you know, I, uh, I'll be looking out for that. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they connect with you? I think the best place to connect is uh, the podcast. So it's armchair-explorer.com and uh, Instagram and Facebook is just arm- at Armchair Explorer Podcast. So, yeah, if you like travel and adventure, come and hang out. We're going to get on well. Well, uh, on behalf of Dave, yeah, go for it. Yeah, man. This, this, uh, Aaron, this has been fun. I hope you can come back. I mean, I really like to get into what you're doing next year, especially as you get your travel uh, business off the ground in terms of your uh, travel agency, because I think some of the uh, adventures you can plan are awesome. They are different to the industry. Um, you know, Dave and I are all about the experience. I, I don't want to yeah. hear about pretty beach resorts. I can find a pretty beach resort anywhere in the world. I want to yep. hear about the experience, the adventure behind it, the thought that went into it. So, yeah, if you uh, are so inclined that we can entice you again, we'd love to have you back sometime next year as things get uh, ramped up. I again. would love to, guys. It's been a total blast. And, I, and I, yeah, full respect to your show, too. I love what you guys are doing. And this has been a lot of fun. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come on. All right. Thank well, you. So thank you again. And uh, you have been listening to Aaron Millar and uh, you'll have all of his contact information on our website at tripcast360.com. And we want to thank you for listening and please tune in next time for another magical episode of tripcast360.com. Bye-bye now. Bye.